Larkin Miller has engineered the greatest comeback I've ever seen. Touchdown, Tech! There's the snap. Ball down. Shane swings the leg through. This kick is in the air. It is gone! It is gone! Shane Graham wins it for Virginia Tech. Michael Vick makes a miracle happen in Morgantown. Welcome to the Memory Lane Podcast. My name is Pete Berthaud, and I'll be your host for the first episode of our Game Rewind series. Tonight's featured game is the 2017 men's basketball victory over UVA, the double overtime thriller, the ball on the rim game, as most of us know it. My fellow panelists, we've got Robert Irby and Ed Williams. Rob, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. I'm just ready to relive this. This was one of my favorite basketball games I've probably ever watched. Ed, what's up, dude? Yeah, this was a really fun game to be at. I, I, I enjoyed doing the research before this and watching some of the highlights to just remember. It kind of like brought me back to where I was sitting in Castle and all that stuff. So, yeah, that was an awesome game and kind of a, 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 a trademark victory for this team uh, as they built towards the future. But this was, this was the first of many really big wins this group of guys had. Absolutely. And I don't want to waste too many pleasantries time on that with you guys, because we're going to get to know you a little bit better as we go through the segments here, because we got a ton of stuff to cover. So let's just dive right into this. And you mentioned a little bit about it, but what about this game uh, got your attention? Was a moment for tech? Like what speaks to you about this game? I'll go first, Irby, and then I'll pass it to you. I think like kind of what I said in the intro, I think this was a um, a really big win and maybe a not a turning point but a big landmark for this group of players and this coaching staff and their tenure at Virginia Tech and um, kind of showed them what they were capable of building towards the future and uh, obviously some of the older guys on this team had a huge impact on this game alone but uh, it was a big moment for a lot of the younger guys as well as they built towards you know that 2019 team so I think when they all look back at this game they might see it in a similar light uh, but yeah, overall, I just think it was a, it was a huge building block for the program at the time. Yeah, I mean, you just, you know, we'll dive more into the context of, you know, what was going on before the game happened and all that. But this was a team that wasn't playing its best basketball, a program that was still really being built from the ground up. Um, and this was the kind of win where they needed they needed some lucky breaks and they got one in the ball, literally getting stuck on the rim, something I've had never seen happen before and haven't seen since. Um, just a crazy, crazy game where, yeah, I mean, Tech just started building towards this future and becoming the program that we know and love today. The image of the ball on the rim is so iconic in terms of Virginia Tech basketball. It's it's probably one of the top five most iconic images of our history when it comes to basketball. And it wasn't even on a play where our guy put it up. But nevertheless, it was a huge moment. And the names on the teams at the time also our reason why I felt like this was a great, I mean, you had Justin Robinson, Allen, Lede, Bibbs, and on UVA, Parentes, Kyle Guy, Jerome, Dakita, guys that won national championship a couple years later. Those names for both schools are so big and so memorable 
that it just adds to the lore of this game. And we're recording this podcast now because we happen to have a game in Castle against UVA this upcoming Saturday. So maybe instead of a game preview for that game, we're kind of rehashing some of our old glory. And hey, I'm here for it. Let's get started with that 2016-2017 season and what the men's basketball team was like at that point in time because this was year three for Buzz Williams at Virginia Tech. We hadn't made the tournament with him, and we hadn't made it, period, since 2006-2007. So we're talking about 10 years. And the season before, Buzz was getting us on track. We had a surprisingly good run through the ACC. We went 10-8. and But it was kind of a weak ACC that year. We went to the NIT, um, lost a close game, but you could see that the excitement for the future was there, but we still hadn't gotten that elusive NCAA berth in a really long time. In the preseason, we received some votes. We were not in the AP poll, which wasn't a surprise, but we did receive some votes, and it was partially because this was Virginia Tech's best roster in many, many years. And I'm going to let one of you guys kind of explain a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a really good roster centered around two veterans. Um, Seth Allen came over from Maryland, had to sit out a year, was obviously a huge part of this team. And Zach Ledet, one of one of the more obscure uh, favorite college basketball players I think I have. He was always undersized every single night in whatever matchup he had and still found a way to put up really good numbers on the offensive end. Uh, two just really good leaders and I think um, guys whose importance to the program uh, when they were there and moving into the future I don't think can be understated. And then, uh, yeah, young Justin Robinson – um, Ahmed Hill, Justin Bibbs, Ty Outlaw, you know, all these guys that went on to do such amazing things for Virginia Tech. And Chris Clark, I know this game in particular was a bummer for him, but uh, also a really good player who had a good career at, for the Hokies. Um, and then, yeah, Kadeem C was on the roster and actually had a solid game and had, had his spurts and moments when he was a very good player for Virginia Tech as well. So the mix of the old guys and the new guys – um, the guys Buzz brought with him that were freshmen or from the portal or uh, transferred in, all that good stuff. Uh, it was kind of a, a clash of a roster that culminated in a very good team. Um, and I, I think it was very important the way Buzz stacked that roster up with guys from the portal and veterans to help usher along those younger guys who he knew had talent because he handpicked them for his you know first full recruiting class there. And Justin Robinson, Chris Clark, Kerry Blackshear. So um, it was a it was it is what I said earlier, building blocks towards the future with this roster. And um, they had, they had some bumps along the way, but then they had some, some really high moments like this game. So very cool roster that, uh, you know, played a big part in the Virginia tech basketball history. Absolutely. It was, it was very much a transitional roster too, because yeah. some people might be wondering why you didn't talk more about Kerry Blackshear. And that's because this was that weird year. We had a leg thing and he didn't play the entire year. And then a guy named Devin Wilson, who made a lot of contributions to the basketball program, a little bit of a contribution to the football program. He also didn't play this season because he had been playing football and came back. He's actually in the videos of this game, and you might see him later, but he didn't play during the season. So a very kind of a funny mix of characters, but a lot of good players from our history and just great characters on this team. The ACC was also loaded that year. We had Justin Jackson, John Collins, Donovan Mitchell, Luke Kennard, Jason Tatum, just to name a few of the guys across the ACC. The league was really good, and UVA started the preseason at number eight with Perantes and Takite, Shayok, Devin Hall, guys I had mentioned earlier. 
they also had a couple of stud freshmen and Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome. That's it's funny to think about. You, you think about those guys being vets, but at one point they were freshmen, and it was in this 2016-2017 season. So Kyle you're Guy had a Virginia. man bun. <laughs> he did. That was when he had the longer hair. He looked awful. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. Before we kind of tear into how they performed, I wanted to ask you guys where you were in your lives at this point. You know, were you at Tech? And where were you in your VT hoops fanhood? Because I know that doesn't always align with the football fanhood. And then finally, I want to know where you were for the game. And, and Irby, why don't you go first? Yeah, so I was a student at Virginia Tech at the time. Um, I, was a, I was wrapping up, I guess, my sophomore year. Um, as far as my Virginia Tech fandom goes for basketball, you know, I'd grown up going to games. I grew up right outside of Blacksburg and Radford, so... I'd grown up like during the Seth Greenberg era and that sort of thing, but the fandom had definitely died as Virginia Tech was perennially finishing in last place in the ACC. Um, I would say that it wasn't until the previous year when, you know, we made a decent run. I believe we were in the NIT that year. Um, and that was kind of the first year that buzz actually started to show like, hey, there's some juice in this program. Um, that was when I first started to really, really um, kind of just pour myself into Virginia Tech hoops and from that point on, I mean, it was so easy to love. Um, all the guys on that team, like, were so easy to love. So I was, I was just hitting my peak of Virginia Tech hoops fandom. And where were you for the game? Oh, that's right. I was uh, in Castle Coliseum in the student section, uh, loudly nice. cheering the boys on. It was awesome. Ed. Yeah, I was also at the game. And then in terms of where I was in life, I was in my first year at Virginia Tech. I had just transferred from Ferrum College. Um, so this was obviously a really fun time to be uh, beginning to follow Virginia Tech basketball. I had watched them a decent amount the year prior because uh, Justin Robinson was a friend going into college. So I was just following him. So passively following Virginia Tech at the time. And then when I got to Virginia Tech as a student, obviously became a full-fledged Hokie basketball fan. And it, it was a very fun time. A good time to get my foot in the door with the Hokies basketball program because it only took off from here. But yeah, I was at the game. Um, very fun team. I guess this was the first, my first full year as a Hokie fan. I'll, we can call it that probably. Nice, man. Yeah, I I was a pretty diehard Tech Hoops fan uh, during the Seth Greenberg era. And I was much farther mm -hmm. out of college. I was not at the game. I'm the only one on this panel not at the game. But uh, in fact, I wasn't even in the country when this game happened. I was in Mexico on vacation with my wife and I listened to the entire game on the Hokie sports app. Uh, John laser. That, that, that was how I absorbed this game. And I also had friends sending me like videos of their television to my cell phone. Cause I could not find the game anywhere in the resort. They didn't have the ESPNs. I don't know, but I was, I was all torn up cause I really wanted to watch it, but I did listen to the entire thing. So I do have that going for me. I had recently moved to Philly. So, I wasn't like in in like that mode. I used to go to hard times for like every basketball game back when I lived in Arlington. That was the spot right off the Clarendon Metro. Me and my buddy Brian would go there Saturday during January, freezing cold Saturday, just bunker down in hard times and drink all day watching the Hokies and other basketball games. But I, I love Tech Hoops and and when we got Buzz Williams, I was I was jacked up and to see it get to this point. Like I was so ready for this season. I love Justin Robinson. I thought he was a great point guard, a potentially great point guard, and he, and he did end up being that for us. And to watch him grow into this season was was very, very cool as a Tech basketball fan. Just time period stuff for you guys. 
number one song on the charts, Bad and Bougie. Now, Irby, I know that was your jam back in back in college, right? <laughs> no, I was still jamming out to uh, Closer by the Chainsmokers. Uh, okay. I was jamming out to it about three months after it went down from number one, you know? Yes, yes. Well, it's funny. the cha- That song was huge when we went to the Battle of Bristol, or it was just coming out in September. And then it was still number three on the charts when you get to this game in February. That thing had some staying power. Oh, yeah. You walk around Center Street. It was still going every Saturday morning. The Patriots had just had their comeback win against the Falcons like a week before this game happened. So, again, to just frame it for the listener. And the movies weren't very good at this time. We had the Lego Batman movie was number one, followed by Fifty Shades Darker. John Wick 2 was number three, and that that is a cool movie. But uh, a couple weeks after the game, Get Out came out. And that was obviously a big, big movie that year. Out of conference play was fantastic for us. If we want to start getting into the nuts and bolts of the season, we plowed through our out of conference. We went 11 and one. It it was a a weak schedule, but there were some, some highlights. Did you guys have any memories from the out of conference slate that year? I remember watching uh, us beat Michigan at Michigan and just thinking to myself, like, God, when is the last time I've seen a Virginia Tech basketball game win a Virginia Tech basketball team win a game like this? Yeah. Um, to beat a Power Five opponent, a non-conference Power Five opponent on the road, I mean, it had been years and years. I just remember thinking, like, okay, we really might have something here. And it was Mo Wagner, right? That team that. Michigan's a good, it's not just a P5 program. It's a good P5 program that played in a national championship just a couple years later, I believe. So that was a huge win. And then wasn't there a tight game down in Ole Miss? That may have was been it? in Blacksburg. Oh, that was, was in Cass. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the only loss coming out of out of conference play was to Texas A&M, coincidentally enough, uh, <laughs> out in California in the Wooden Legacy Classic. We lost 68-65, and even that one was was very, very winnable. Was um, that Alex Caruso? Oh, man. I'm not sure. I can't I say think, with anything. I think it I think, was. I think you might be right, though. The timing makes sense. But uh, ACC play was a, a little bit of a different story. Yeah, so I mean, we start ACC play on New Year's Eve, um, hosting number five Duke in Castle Coliseum, uh, the Grayson Allenless Duke Blue Devils, famous, and we beat the absolute breaks off of them, um, one by I believe eighteen. Now, the reason why Grayson Allen was not playing for Duke, if y'all will recall, um, in his previous game against Elon, he had intentionally tried to trip someone and coach K said, I'm suspending him indefinitely. That was my coach K impression. (laughs) Um, And then they lose one game on the road and coach K says he's learned his lesson and he's right back. So, (laughs) so Grayson Allen was suspended for one game for literally trying to injure someone for the second time in his career. Uh, (laughs) Nevertheless, Virginia tech was 12 and one at this point, one and zero in the ACC had to be feeling pretty good. Um, and then, you know, I, I really think the youth kind of caught up with Tech because, you know, aside from Seth Allen and Lede being these older leaders, you know, kind of the crux of the production and the entire starting lineup really was all younger players, um, especially with Robinson and Chris Clark, Hadim C, guys like that. 
Um, so we gave up 104 points, 104 points to NC State in a loss. Um, a couple days later, lost by 15 to Florida State. Um, bounced back with a win against Syracuse at home by 10, then lost to a ranked Notre Dame on the road. Uh, then had a little moment where here where we were winning some clutch games, a couple one-point wins in a row. Georgia Tech at home, Clemson on the road. Granted, neither of those teams were very good. So on one hand, those weren't really games that needed to be close in the first place. Um, and then, yeah, three of our next four we lost. Got absolutely walloped by UVA in Charlottesville, 71-48. Um, and yeah, so going into that UVA game on February 12th, we were 16-7 and seven overall, 5-6 and six in the ACC, had lost two in a row. We were at 54th in the Ken Palm on the day of the game, meaning we were very much on the bubble and were pretty much in danger of dropping a couple games under 500 in conference play, which would have been a decent-sized hole to dig out of. By comparison, UVA was number two in Ken Palm, number 12 in the AP. They were 18-5, and 8-3 and three in the conference, and had just come off a pretty enormous win over number four Louisville. Um, they had the ninth ranked strength of schedule in the country. Yeah, we needed a win. UVA was playing really well. They were a really good team. Granted, maybe not quite the caliber as they grew to than over the next couple of years. They kind of everything flowed through London Parentes a little too much. Um, but that said, they were still very good. They just crushed us, and we needed a win bad. Yeah, we really did. And you got to keep in mind, too, that UVA had beaten us nine out of 10 times going into this game. And I think it might have been like 11 out of 13 as well. They have been dominating us. And often the margin was in the mid-teens to 20s when they beat us. So we stole one from them the year before, but beating them was a huge deal. And if we were able to do it back on this day, it would have proven, and it did prove, that we were going to be able to compete with them going forward. As, as contenders and, and peers in the ACC rather than being a doormat. So it was a really big game. And um, I think I think we've kind of set it up enough. There's enough building. We need to talk about the game itself. And for you guys that were there, and Ed, I'll start with you, the pregame environment, what was it like? Was it, was it warm, loud? Was it full? Did people show up early? What was it like that day? It was pretty full as you'd expect it to be. Um... Everyone was on the student section, at least, you know, the away bench and castles near the student section. So everyone was chirping and proved to be a very, very good game where the team needed the environment. So I got a, actually a clip from a buddy of ours. Uh, Clark Ruland sent me this clip from the pregame kind of festivities. So I'll just play it short. They had the the lights going in the crowd. the 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 air horns were blowing. The place place was getting fired up. And Castle's hot, right? Like most of the time when you're at a game, it's warm in there. And once it starts getting warm and the students start getting loud, it's an intimidating environment. And it it definitely seemed like we had that going early on. In the first half, we kind of got out to a tough start. We were down by double digits, but after getting down early. Seth Allen hit a trio of threes and we got it back to 24 to 23 and the students seemed like they were into it. And I, I'm guessing Irby, you're feeling like you had a chance. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was really interesting to note as well, you know, with this being Virginia, not only is it a high caliber opponent, it's also your rival. Um, and this was kind of the first time that the students got to experience actually feeling like you have a chance to beat UVA while you're there in person because we beat them the year before, but students were on break. So no one was mm. there to see it. Um, and that one was more of just kind of like a plucky upset that wasn't necessarily like, hey, we're your peers. Um, so yeah, people were really hype. People were believing, um, especially, yeah, if we cut it to a point, like it's sort of late in the, in the first half and people were like, yeah, I mean, we're going to do this again and we're actually going to be here to see it. So yeah, the energy was definitely palpable. Yeah. And it's, it's 23, 24 at the four minute mark of the first half, but we didn't score another point going into halftime. UVA won on a 13 0 run and it's 37 to 23 at the half. So that, that feeling in your gut at halftime are like, it can't be good. Right. Cause they, they just thumped us. We were in it. Everyone's excited. And then we go down by two touchdowns, essentially. Ed, how you feeling at halftime? Do you, are you, are you thinking about leaving at all? No, no, no. <laughs> that was, that was never my style, especially at basketball games. Um, but yeah, I mean that you, anytime you go down on a 13 0 run into the half, uh, you can't be feeling very good in the locker room, and the fans certainly aren't feeling very good in the stands. So uh, they needed a huge run in the second half, um, and they were able to come up with it. But, yeah, that 13-0 run was absolutely brutal. Yeah, and I think it's important to sort of reiterate that, like, the re the air kind of got sucked out of the gym for a little bit because we didn't really believe in this team yet the way that you would believe in a Virginia Tech basketball team today. Like, again, we were just used to so many years of mediocrity and being way worse than mediocre. And they had just blown us out. Like, you know, we just kind of figured it was a wrap. I mean, I myself wasn't thinking about leaving because, like, Ed, I don't do that. But, you know, the thoughts were definitely there. And I think the focus kind of shifted to let's just start chirping the UVA players on the bench um, instead of focusing on the actual game. Um, yeah, so we definitely needed a, a spark there. And thankfully we got it. Yeah. There was a little bit of a, here we go again. Right. Irby. Like it's, yeah, it feels yeah. like we, we can't, we can't do this. We're never going to get over this hump at halftime. And buzz actually had a great quote after the game. He said, if you're down 14 at the half against a top eight team and the number one defensive team, the second slowest team per possession in the country, that's like being down 30 to anyone else. And it's, it's so true. Like it felt, like an impossible mountain to climb at that point. And Lede, one of our studs, didn't have a single point in the first half, which is also crazy to think about. So I don't know what Buzz said to them in the locker room, but it must have been great because we caught up in large part to Lede coming alive. He had nine points in about a three-and-a-half-minute stretch early in the second. He capped it with a three-point play at the 13-minute mark, which cut it to four. So within seven minutes, we had already shaved 10 points off the lead. And those final 13 minutes of regulation that were an absolute slugfest. And, and you got to also remember at that point, like around the 13 minute, 12 minute mark is when Chris Clark goes down with his injury. And so it was, okay, we're cutting it, cutting it, cutting it. You see him come down on that leg and it's another blow to the gut at that point. But somehow a minute later, you know, we're about 12, 11 minutes we had the deficit deficit down to two points. 
So it was an incredible effort by our guys led by Lede, but a bunch of guys contributing Hill and Robinson, all those guys. I'm wondering if that heat I was talking about in the building kind of got to UVA because you know how buzz likes to run things. Like he was going up and down. He always prided the conditioning. Ed, do you think that had something to do with it? How hot it was in there? I mean, it could have, I don't know. I just think Virginia tech in general had all the momentum, um, you know, for, what, the first 16 minutes of the first half, we played a really good game. And then coming out of halftime, we continued to play that really good game. We had played the first 16. So, But not for that four-minute stretch. This might have been a pretty easy, hokey victory. Um, but, you you know, you come to expect lulls like that. You're not going to play a complete 40-minute game when you're playing that many young guys. So um, if it were not for that four-minute stretch in the first half, this may have been a, a regulation win for Virginia Tech. So, I think Virginia Tech was playing a good game anyway. Just that one little stretch, which is the difference between, you know, championship level teams and younger teams, is is was the difference in the game at that point. So once they got through that and Virginia Tech came back out in the second half and played the way they were for the first 16 minutes, um, they kind of cruised. Yeah, and to that point of how close it was, from four minutes to go in the game, it threw overtime. Neither team got up by more than three points. I mean, this was lead changes, tie ball games. And I think the the lead only got to three once. And I believe that was in the first overtime. But we're talking about 14 straight minutes of play that it didn't go more than three points either direction. So it was hotly contested, came down to the wire. And Justin Bibbs, we talk about Seth Allen because of what happens at the end. But Bibbs hit so many clutch shots throughout the second half. Two threes at the end of regulation, along with that ridiculous layup. And in fact, I'm going to play that shot for you right now. Six a couple of times late, but could not come all the way back. Here's Bibbs off the turnover. Ahead of the break, throws it up. Got it! What a shot! And the chance to tie at the free throw line. The turnover leading to offensive opportunities for Jonathan Bibbs. Bibbs not putting on the brakes, but keeping his foot on the gas pedal and finding his way to the I mean, I that's the craziest shot of the whole game right there. And he flips it, it over his head, puts this nasty spin on it, and it's perfect. Yeah, I don't I don't know how it went in. And, and when I told you, like, my buddy was sending me clips of the television, that was the one I remember was that bib shot because it was just so unbelievable at the time. But on on the second three that he made at the end of regulation, we actually took a 61 to 59 lead. His shooting was so crucial in this game. And this is always the two steps forward, one step back thing. We get, we take that lead. Lede fouls out. So as, so Lede fouls out, it gets, it gets tied up again. And now, like, oh, we're going to go to overtime without Zach Lede. Now, we didn't know we were going to overtime yet, but losing him again was just a punch to the gut. Yeah, and, and I mean, you couple that with the fact that Chris Clark is out as well. Um, that caused Ty Outlaw to have to step in and play. Um, and granted, Ty Outlaw didn't have his normal type of game. He didn't make a single three. Um, he still played some pretty crucial minutes, especially – with a tough defensive assignment against Isaiah Wilkins, like that dude was a scrapper and he was big and he was tough. Um, so yeah, I commend Ty Outlaw for that. Yeah, because they missed the front end of a one and one at the end of regulation. So we have the ball down two with nine seconds left. And 
this is Seth Allen's first act at the end of a period because this was a recurring theme here. He brings it down the court, drives in, ball hits the rim, and it was actually a pretty good shot and looked like it was going to go in. But it rims out, and Ty Outlaw, man on the spot, tips it in, and it's 63-63, and we're going overtime. And I believe I have a... A two ties and a three wins it. Allen to the basket. The tip is good by Outlaw. We're tied with a second left. Here's Thompson. He'll heave it. Overtime in Blacksburg. So we're headed to overtime. Uh, and, and it's funny because Outlaw was known for his three-point shooting. He's known for his shooting in general. And that was his only points of the game, I think. It was, yeah. Yeah, that's that's just wild. And so, he never made a ton of two-pointers in the first place, you know? <laughs> no, no. His His one job was to get out there and get behind the arc and shoot. And if we're moving to the first overtime now, that was as ugly a period of basketball there ever was. The teams combined to go three of 13 from the floor, just five points for each team in that period. And with a minute left in the first overtime, uh, uh, Perantes hit a layup to give them the three-point lead I was talking about earlier. But Justin Bibbs came up huge again, hits the three with 51 seconds left, ties it at 68, and that's when the famous play happened. Perantes drives on Outlaw. The ball is stuck on the rim. Jump ball. Possession arrow. Virginia Tech. The beautiful left-handed layup. And somehow or another, just finds a resting spot on the back of the rim. That's just so ridiculous. <laughs> Shout out to... Uh... Number one, Anish Shroff on the call. And number two, all the Virginia Tech players for immediately knowing that that's a jump ball. Right. And I mean, we had the possession arrow. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, in the stands, I'll just tell you, we were like, what What happens now? Like, if we saw it happen, we're like, what What do, do we get the ball? Like, what happens? And then, you know, obviously realize, but they were all Johnny on the spot, especially the Tech players. Seth Allen throws his hands up in a V, like a victory formation. They knew. It was. It was definitely the oh shit moment of the game, if you will. There, there's other contenders out there, but that ball being stuck on the back of the rim, we said it's iconic, the image, all of it. And obviously that would have given UVA the lead with about 15, 16, 17 seconds left. And maybe that's it for us. Um, other contenders for oh shit moments, do you guys have them? Uh, I think... I, I wasn't. I didn't want to talk about it earlier because I didn't know what you had clips of and what you didn't. But Justin Bibbs hit two massive threes in this game, in addition to that ridiculous uh, layup that we already touched on. Uh, I know you talked about the threes, but um, Bibbs was four of six from three in this game and had 16 points. Uh, I think everyone remembers, you know, the Parentes thing and then how awesome Seth Allen was off the bench. But Justin Bibbs was phenomenal on this night as well. Yeah, honestly the one moment that has always stuck in my mind is that Bibbs layup. So I won't harp on it again, but Great. still just such a magical moment. Yeah, and then they hit the, he hit two threes. I think one was to tie it in regulation, and then one in overtime. He was awesome that night. Yeah, and my, what I had listed was the three-pointer by Bibbs in the first overtime, yeah. the, one, the one that tied it, because it was so clutch. All right, so moving on to the second overtime. This was better than the first. <laughs> Six of 12 combined from the field. 
but we were really going to the line. And I guess if guys are getting tired, that is a, a solid strategy. And we were five of six from the line in that second overtime. Four lead changes in the second overtime itself. Think th- five minutes, four lead changes, multiple tie games as well. Bibbs made another huge three, as Ed referenced, with us down two to put us up 75-74. Parentes goes to the line and sinks both. And so we're down one. And we get three more free throws. Uh, J-Rob came up big with two. Uh, he hitting both after a, a foul by Kyle Guy. And then Hall tied the game. If you can't keep track, Hall tied the game. And that's when Allen did his thing at the end of the game. And I'll play that clip for you right now. This is the end of the second overtime. Allen working on Shayok. Allen in the lane. Gets it to the goal. Final seconds. Here's Parentes for the win. Virginia Tech with a double overtime win in Blacksburg. Seth Allen coming up with a huge bucket to get the Hokies a statement win here at home against the in-state rival Wahoos. It was better just to get the, the team win, but it was great, you know, for the team to trust me with the ball in my hands. I just tried to make a play towards the rim. In uh, the first overtime, I was tired. I let fatigue get to me, and I was shooting three, and I knew I, I just had to keep attacking. I had rushed the court twice this season at this point. Uh, first for that yeah. Duke game on New Year's Eve, and then for this game, so... I was uh, getting well accustomed with the floor in Castle Coliseum after this one. Yeah, I was going to talk about that too. That was, uh, well, you notice in that clip too, the the Heidi Tidies, or not the Heidi Tidies, the High Techs, sorry, big distinction. <laughs> <laughs> the High Techs formed an arc to like keep us like cornered to like the end of the court, you know, like we didn't take the whole court. So if you watch the video, especially from a neutral party, it looks pretty lame. But I can tell you like from a fan perspective, especially hopping that eight foot wall to get down there. That was euphoric. I I can only imagine fellas that the, the celebration afterwards was so cool, but I want to talk about Seth Allen and, and the way he got that basket real quick. Cause there's 17 seconds left again in the second overtime, just like the first overtime. And like he said in that post game clip, he drove in this time rather than settling for the three. And with how short Allen is, to do that jump stop and then pump fake and then put it up over the outstretched arms of Shayok was one of the most impressive plays of his career. And, and it might go down as the most impressive. It was just so incredible. And I, every time I watch the clip, like I can't believe that it goes in. It's such a, it's such a good move to get inside. And I actually have one more angle of that that came from Clark. Let's play that. He's sitting, he's probably sitting not too far from you guys uh, in the student section. And the roar of the crowd is just unbelievable at the end there. it I want to talk about those end of the game scenarios because they did all come down to Seth Allen. And with how good Justin Bibbs was playing, it's kind of surprising, right, Ed? Yeah, I just think that at this point in their respective careers, uh, Seth Allen was the guy that, that the coaching staff wanted the ball in, in his hands. Uh, for the reasons you talked about with the jump stop and the ability to, you know, a little pump fake, create just enough room to get off a clean look at it. Uh, that's just a veteran guard who had played a lot of minutes at that point, both at Maryland and then at Virginia Tech. So 
Uh, I totally understand Seth Allen being the guy late in the clock, and he had moments like that throughout the other games in the season where he's the guy late in the clock. So uh, just a veteran guard knowing how to get just enough room to get that shot off in the lane and bury it and walk out of there with a win. Yeah, he was that safety blanket that that Buzz had where he could say, hey, you just need a bucket, go get it. Um, and because Allen was such a great creator, you know, he had that arsenal of moves, you know, the jump stop, like you mentioned, especially against Shayok, who was arguably UVA's best on ball defender. Yeah. Um, at that point in time, especially on the perimeter, um, you know, to get him to get to get him sliding by and give himself some space to lay it up with his left hand is uh, yeah, it was quite a move. And Seth Allen's career at Tech kind of got off to a little bit of a bumpy start because he was hyped coming in from Maryland as a transfer, but he didn't play that well in his first season with Tech. Like he played fine and it was okay. But this game, along with he hit the free throws in the other UVA game last year, but like he started to really emerge as a leader from this point forward. And even into our tournament run, he really proved to be one of one of the best guards, smaller guards that we ever had at tech. And it was, it was really like a pleasure to watch him grow. And that's a credit to Buzz Williams to, to pull the best out of him as he kept going through his career. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, let's go to just the, after the game stuff. And, and we'll kind of, if we want to peel back to anything we can, but I wonder what the locker room was like after that game. Cause it was on a Sunday night. So it's not as if, the students are really going out and partying at Tots, but I wonder if those players were hitting the bars afterwards or anything, because that's not the kind of thing like that doesn't happen every day. And Buzz would usually give his guys 24 hours, right. To, to really soak it in. I doubt it because they played pit two days later. Ah, there, you Sunday, there you go. <laughs> and they played pit on a Tuesday right after that with a game that they ended up winning by three points on the road. So oh, that's right. I, I doubt they, uh, I doubt they got, got the opportunity to go out, but I also doubt that they practiced the next day. They probably just had a walkthrough and then flew up to Pittsburgh. A uh, quick turnaround on that one from the schedule. Thanks a lot, ACC. Yeah, yeah this was the like pros. first, it was the first of three games in six days. If I remember it, we had a, another game uh, that, that following Saturday. So it was three games in six days. So you're right. They were absolutely not partying or they shouldn't have been afterwards. The win itself was huge for the resume. And we know that. And I, I believe that, we can all appreciate what it did for our tournament hopes, but the very close loss to Louisville, while disappointing, again showed the medal of this team a couple of days later. And it really showed the emergence of Ty Outlaw and what he could do. And it's odd that that injury to Chris Clark and, and what you said earlier, Rob, it opened the door for better spacing due to more play by Ty Outlaw. Is that the same read you guys had? Yeah, because Ty Outlaw was just a completely different player than Chris Clark. You know, Chris Clark was kind of this uh, Swiss Army knife of a player where he was a good passer, good ball handler, you know, could slash, um, great rebounder, but he was never a great jump shooter. And Ty Outlaw was like the complete opposite. Uh, great, great jump shooter, one of the best in Virginia Tech history, but, you know, kind of was slower coming in some of the other areas. Um, so it completely changed how defenses had to play against Virginia Tech, and they really used that to your advantage. And I would imagine that cleared up a lot for Zach Ladey and um, guys like that in the post as well. So we went four and two down the stretch in ACC play, including a win 
against number 25 Miami. And, and in that Miami game, Outlaw hit eight threes. And was that was that the VT record at the time? I think it might have been. It was um, until uh, until Robinson broke it his yes. senior year in Syracuse. That's that's right. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, big picture. I, this game, what like you were talking about at the beginning, Ed, did it did it kind of take this team to a new level? Do you think this game solely kind of was that stepping stone? This combined with Duke. Uh, I would say probably, you know, showed them that they could hang at this level. Uh, you go on the rest of the season, you're, you know, your only maybe bad loss the rest of the year after this game was um, like, or you know, they beat, no, they lost Wake Forest and then turned around and beat Wake Forest. I don't know. I, I think it just showed them they could hang in these games. They had, you know, I always think the college basketball teams that are going to succeed late in the season and into the postseason are the ones with veteran guards, and they had that in Seth Allen. Um, they had a veteran big and Zach Day, and then they had a bunch of really talented guys around those two um, to make life easier for them. So I think it was kind of a springboard effect, um, especially when you're able to knock off a team that crushed you two games prior. Um, it shows that, you know, this team was here, uh, you know, maybe a little early, had a schedule for as, you know, in terms of what Buzz probably had in mind, but Virginia Tech was ready to roll and they were on the map. Um, after when you, Anytime you beat Duke and UVA, um, you're all of a sudden on the map and and they were in a big way. Yeah, I would say, I, I mean, I agree with you. It transformed Virginia Tech from a kind of a bottom feeder P5 to a perennial tournament team. And our backs were against the wall at, at the 20 minute mark and whatever Buzz did, whatever he had coached them up, that 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 comeback ability, that medal I was talking about, it all came out in the second half. And we took that necessary step to become nationally relevant. And we haven't really looked back. And even though Buzz left, Witt went out there, we got Mike Young, and he's continued what Buzz has built, despite the fact that we were kind of gutted when Mike Young came in. He's built it back up quick. And I know we we struggled a little bit recently, but it changed the tenor of this program, what we expect from this program. And I really believe that that UVA win, because of the way it essentially got us into the tournament, made us a lock, it, it was the pivotal moment in modern Virginia Tech basketball history. I really do believe that. Yeah, and it was so interesting, you know, because we went on to obviously make the NCAA tournament as a, I believe we were a nine seed, um, lost to Wisconsin in the first round. But think about a nine seed, that's not a bubble team. Like we were above the bubble for sure, which was so bizarre. Yeah. Because um, I mean, my only experience, because frankly, I was too young during the last NCAA tournament appearance. What was that? 07? Yes. I hadn't really started watching basketball yet. I was still playing Mario Kart on my Game Boy all the time. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I my only experience with Tech in the NCAA tournament was very negative because of the Seth Greenberg bubble boy days. So to just like go to the, uh, I guess they had a viewing party in Castle Coliseum with the team for the selection show and to just go there and know like, Hey, it's not if it's when, like when we are placed in this tournament uh, was so bizarre. And then we were, I'm pretty sure we were one of the first teams announced like, cause they did the, I guess they do it in groups of four and we were in the first group of four. And then, so it was like, all right, great. Two minutes in, let's go home. That's it. We're in. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good point because with how much we were on the bubble, 
in the mid aughts into the, into 2010, 2011. Um, you really thought when we finally did get in, it was going to be like real slim margins, but doing parts of the UVA win, the Miami win, the Duke win, we didn't have to sweat it out. And, and buzz, even though we went the same record in the ACC, I talked about how good the ACC was this season. And going 10 and 8 that year was more than enough to get us in when you add that Michigan win and that old miss win and a couple other things. So we were the nine seed. We played a very good Wisconsin team that a lot of people thought they were the eight, but a lot of people thought Wisconsin should have been a five or better. Like that was that was a very good Wisconsin team that we ended up losing to. And we were in that game for a while too. Um, Ed, did you have any final thoughts on on this game or just that season in general? I just wanted to add on top of what Irby just brought up. I think it was a great point talking about the uh, selection show viewing party in Castle that Buzz started that uh, under him and what they were able to build starting with this team. That became a tradition. Um, you know, I, I went to a few of those and that was a really cool thing that uh, they were able to do and then continue to build on year after year and make that something that students could kind of look forward to. Uh, it was it, They always did a good job with it. And the fact that he was able to build that into a tradition is something that is pretty awesome and kind of started with this team. So, I mean, a lot of Hokie fans have a sour taste in their mouth. When we, when we think about Buzz Williams, I, I just think it's the spurned ex lover kind of thing that so on Twitter, people are kind of rooting for Texas A&M to lose and, and all this stuff. But as you just pointed out, the little things that he did to build this program into what it's become were huge for us. And without him, who knows where we are right now? Cause when James Johnson left, this program was in a dumpster. I mean, it was, it was in really bad shape and he brought us so many memories, including this game. So I thank buzz for that. He's kind of a weird dude. No one will ever say otherwise, but man, did he build our program into something we can be proud of. And I just want to thank you guys for coming on tonight and helping me kind of recount this game. I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, Rob, did you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, I guess, so share more of a personal anecdote, if I may, just to kind of, you know, you know, we're all Hokies here, and I feel like we can kind of share these memories together. But um, this game in particular was a pretty memorable one for me. Um, I had, like, just lost my grandmother four days before. So that was a hard time, you know, very emotional time. Um had spent a lot of time with family. And the first thing I did when I came back to campus was I went to this game. And, you know, so it was, a, again, a very emotional time for me. I was very close with my grandmother. And um, so the first thing to happen is this just incredible game, you know, where Tech wins in such dramatic fashion. Um, the ball gets stuck on the rim, like just craziness is happening. And, you know, to win in double overtime against your rival, get to hop that eight foot wall, storm the court, enter Sandman's blaring. It's an experience that I'll never forget. You know, and people ask me all the time, why are you so into Virginia Tech? Like, why do you care this much about Virginia Tech sports? And it's moments like that that are why. And it's why all of us care so much about it is because Hokie sports can sort of be this escape for us and uh, this place that we can really find a lot of joy. And uh, I'm really excited to share a lot more of these moments with y'all on this podcast. That's a beautiful sentiment, man. And that's exactly what we are hoping these game rewind episodes will do for people kind of trigger some of that nostalgia, make them feel 
the way they did on that day. And so make sure you subscribe to the Memory Lane feed on Spotify, the Too Deep feed on Spotify. It's the same feed. If you're already subscribed to Too Deep, you're good. If you've subscribed to the Memory Lane feed, you're good there too. And I would recommend viewing it on Spotify only because it'll be very easy to tell which episode you're looking at because the artwork will be right there. But as always, um, listen to the Sons of Saturday, uh, subscribe to all the things. Give us a rating also on Spotify if you can. We got a lot of Apple ratings, but we could use some Spotify ratings. And stay tuned because the Suns got a lot of good stuff coming up in the not-too-distant future. We're going to do more games very, very soon here. Do some football games. And so keep it locked, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.